Got a house down a back road, I got a flag. It's time for episode 66 of Three Point Podcast, and congratulations to MSU for another Final Four appearance, but unfortunately, another loss. More on that coming up. Our podcast covers sports and pop culture from three generations. I'm the baby boomer, Ted Fatale of Sportsnet Michigan and Z92.5 Radio in our Three Point Podcast studios here tonight in Owasso, Michigan. Gen Xer Matt Burns checks in by phone from ESPN in Charlotte, North Carolina. And on the other line is our millennial, Jared Fatel of Grand Valley State University. University and Fox 17 in Grand Rapids. Our partners include Advanced Elevator, Sheridan Realty and Auction Company, Rivals Tap House and Grill, The Corona Connection, and Card Service Michiana. We're going to get it rolling right after these important messages from our Three Point Podcast partners. Rivals Tap House and Grill is the area's go-to spot for the best in food and drink. Meet up with your friends and catch your favorite sporting events on over 20 high-def flat-screen TVs. And our 120-inch projection screen. Rivals can handle your large or small parties and is an awesome spot to put on your fundraising events. Weekly food and drink specials including gourmet burgers, wings, pizza, homemade soup, and salads. Rivals also stocks a large selection of craft and domestic brews. Rivals Tap House and Grill, the official gathering spot of three-point podcast located on the corner of Shiawassee and M21 in Corona. 85, 90, 95, 100. Looking for items to buy or sell? Look no further than SheridanAuctionService.com. We will solve your problem. Bring Sheridan Realty and auction your items and we will market them all over the country and get them sold. If you are looking to buy items, we can help with that too. Call today, 989-720-SELL. It's fast, easy, and we get results. SheridanAuctionService.com. Buy or sell, we'll get it done for you. Call 989-720-SELL. You'll do better with Sheridan. All right, guys. Well, we're recording this on Sunday night, and, you know, last week we talked about we weren't sure when we were going to record this podcast. It would depend on if Michigan State won or lost, and obviously everyone knows by now Michigan State lost. It was one of those things where I, I honestly I picked Michigan State in my bracket to, to win it all. I thought this was one of those Izzo teams. We've talked about it on the podcast before that I thought they had it all. I thought this was their year for Izzo to get championship number two but I'm not necessarily mad that they lost. I, people at work kept asking me, like, man, as a Michigan fan, do you want Michigan State to win? And I was like, I never necessarily want Michigan State to win. I'm not mad. A lot of friends and family are Spartan fans, so, you know, like Jared, you said last week, happy to see them get a get a win or, you know, win a championship. But I don't know. I, I wasn't necessarily mad when the clock hit zero and Texas Tech was celebrating. Matt, I, I was under the same impression as you, but I will say this. I, I'm really, really, really going to miss Matt McQuaid out there. You talk about a guy who played probably his worst game of the season at the most inopportune time against Texas Tech last night, and it was Matt McQuaid. But if you listen to him after uh, the game, and I've said it before, I like Izzo, just I don't like the fans as much as really the only problem I have with Michigan State, and just you could tell how much it bothered him that he didn't like pull through with Izzo. He talked about how he's always been there for him, how they always have these conversations after practice. And I tell you what, guys, for once, I actually felt kind of sad that Michigan State went down. Yeah, you know, you brought up McQuaid not having his best game, obviously, and uh, the team as a whole didn't have that great a game. I mean, let's face it, this Texas Tech team is the real deal. Now, whether they win or not tomorrow night, as Matt said, we're recording on Sunday night, remains to be seen. But I'll tell you what, it should be one heck of a game and a good matchup. And you got to give a lot of credit to Texas Tech. And, uh, you know, I felt sad, too, because, you know, I'm kind of more the resident Michigan State fan here. 
But the thing that bothered me more than anything, I'm going to give a lot of credit to Texas Tech, but I don't think Michigan State played their game. And what I mean by that is, to me, they didn't attack aggressively that defense and go to the basket just nonstop. Hey, if you go early on and get a shot or two blocked, so what? Keep going. But to me, watching that game, I thought they played a bit tentatively. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Texas Tech center, you know, their power forward, whatever, Owens, I mean, he was just, he ended up with three blocks. Yeah. Uh, but he was just like, anytime they would drive, he was disrupting Winston or whoever, it seemed like, anytime they did drive. So, I mean, yeah, you mentioned, I mean, really, looking at the stats, like, Matt Mooney, he had he had a great game. For he Texas killed him. He, he was lighting it up. But, like, Jarrett Culver didn't have a very good game. Moretti for Texas Tech didn't have that great of a game. So, really, like, both teams, you know, didn't play the way necessarily off, on offense that they were the rest of the tournament. And, yeah, you have to wonder if, you know, Michigan State had an off night, well, you know, if they just were off, or if that was because of Texas Tech's defense. Because, I mean, obviously as Michigan fans, we saw what they did to Michigan's offense, and it was a similar thing. Texas Tech took all of Michigan's shooters out. Iggy was off, Poole was off, you know, Simpson didn't have a good game. So Texas Tech took the scores out for Michigan. They did the same thing, really, for Michigan State. Winston didn't have a very good shooting night. Like you guys mentioned, McQuaid, he started off hot, but he kind of cooled off. Goins didn't hit a field goal. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Texas Tech, all, I, all the credit to them. They're, they're playing great. It's crazy because they weren't even ranked in the top 25 before the tournament. Yeah, they're the real deal for sure. You know, like Matt, like you said, like both teams kind of didn't really play that well. It, I complimented Michigan State. I felt sad for them, but that's about all I can say about the team. I mean, it was a terrible game. You know it's a bad game when both teams at the half are saying – like, you know, we, it's always this way. It's like, oh, we played, like, the worst half of our life, but, like, we're only up by, we're, but we're up by two. Or it's Michigan State, like, we're down by two. Both teams, like, had that same kind of feeling. That's both what the fan bases were saying on Twitter, like, going into half. That's when you know you're bad, when just two teams are just playing horrible. But I will say this about, like, their defense. Ted, you said something about Michigan State, like, not playing their game. They're just not as good at Texas Tech. They weren't going to ever be able to go inside on Texas Tech. Yeah, Xavier Tillman can go inside on John Teske. And like the livers of the world, but he's not going to be able to do that against the guys that Texas Tech has. Well, we saw that, and, and we were talking about like Michigan earlier, Matt. This Mark Adams guy is like their Yaklich, and actually he's like Yaklich on steroids. And it's kind of funny how him and like Chris Beard actually met. They met each other watching a movie, and I don't. This is like some information I was doing some research on him. Apparently, he's known for this drill called the kill drill, which is where you need to get three stops before you get you can get off the court, like in practice. I'm, that's about all I know about it, so do with that information what you will. But what I will say is, like, that defense, and I actually heard this from Jack Strapp earlier when I was talking to him on the phone. He's yeah. not able to be on the show, which is a uh, sad thing for us all. Yep. But this Texas Tech defense, it's like sitting at a picnic with 20 bees, like, flying around your head. <laughs> You're not going to be able to score on me. I mean, Michigan State, 31.9% from the field. Just terrible. Yeah. So, Ted, I don't think it, it had nothing to do with Michigan State is basically what I'm getting at. Okay. We're well, never going to be able to score. Yeah. But I know those, is those like whole game plan was they're going to go inside and he actually was surprised they weren't able to. That didn't surprise me at all. They were never going to be able to. Yeah, but I didn't think they tried enough. That was that was my whole point I was trying to make. I, I get what you're saying that Texas Tech didn't allow them to, but I I think the Spartans should have continued to do it. Didn't, didn't it seem like they were just milking the clock down and, you know, just not attacking the basket? And you're saying that's – just because Texas Tech is so good at stopping that. Did you notice who Izzo's first mistake of the tournament? He's done a coaching great all tournament long. He decides to have Kirk Cousins address the team <laughs> pregame. <laughs> what in the world was that decision? That was when you knew it was over. 
Kirk Cousins before the game, biggest game of the year, that's who you bring in compared to like Auburn who has Charles Barkley come in and just give an absolute heartfelt uh, speech about how he's never won a title. Kirk Cousins is not going to get you ready for that game. I have to admit that thought crossed my mind, Jared. Would you, can you believe that? It did cross my mind when I heard that. Yeah, the, the Kirk Cousins coming in to give the pregame speech is basically like if all of a sudden you saw Drake wearing a Michigan State jacket. It's just <laughs> it's the curse that it, it wasn't a good start. And, you know, I think I think there is something to maybe. I mean, Ted, last week you mentioned Coach K maybe just had a bad night uh, coaching against Michigan State. Maybe Izzo was a little caught off guard by the defense that Texas Tech was running or something because all I was thinking during the game, I know Nick Ward is a guy, Spartan fans and, you know, the team, they love Nick Ward for what he's brought to Michigan State. Honestly, he had a couple buckets, but I don't think he should have been playing at all. It seemed like any time he got the ball in the post, the whole offense would just stop, and he would just dribble, dribble, dribble. He had some turnovers. He had had like one or two offensive fouls. You know, I know he he's a solid player and everything. He rebounds, he's tough and everything like that. But, I mean, what Tillman and Goins bring to the table for Michigan State, to me, was more what they needed uh, against Texas Tech. I mean, you know, that's just my opinion. But I I, I just I can't get over the, the defense that Texas Tech plays because, you know, watching yeah. Michigan State all year, that, those Michigan State are two great defensive teams, too. But Texas Tech's on another level. Well, think it, about it. Think I mean, about it's, it. You're it's right. awesome. So it'll, it'll be cool Matt, to see them against Virginia. Like, who is, who is Michigan State supposed to play instead of McQuaid? And I, and I love how you, I love – I do kind of like this about you, how you always, like, kind of bring it back around to Izzo's coaching. But I honestly think he, like, squeezed every ounce of juice out of this team. I mean, Matt McQuaid, yeah, like, I've kind of mocked him. Like, he's not that good. But that's what makes Izzo – that's what's been so impressive about this team and Izzo is that even with injuries like Langford and stuff, like he's still been able to get something out of McQuaid and Goins, who was wearing a face mask until about three months ago. It, so I guess I just what I'm saying is like who is supposed who is Tom Izzo supposed to bring in off the bench? I mean, Michigan State only played seven guys. Who who are they supposed to bring off the bench like to take McQuaid's minutes? Like Foster Lawyer? Well, this, like, I this still was a, know. Yeah, this was a game where I thought maybe I mean you got Winston's a guy. You got to hope that he just you know, carry the team. He didn't have a very good shooting night, so, I mean, maybe he was just off. you, you got to roll with Winston. Yeah. But I thought I thought Henry would be the guy. An athletic wing, you know, Jarrett Culver's a great defender and everything, but, you know, Henry's a freshman, I get that. But at this point, you know, he's not really a freshman. He's been playing all year. You know, I thought this was a game that Henry could have had uh, an impact. And Brown off the bench, he's a great shooter. He went 0 for 3 from 3, so he didn't knock down his shots. But I thought he, that w- it was an opportunity to bring guys in who would knock down shots. He went 0 for 3 from 3. Kenny Goins went 0 for 4 from 3. So, you know, if yeah. you're not knocking down your threes, I mean, that's that's what happened to Michigan. Michigan went 1 for 19 from 3. Michigan State went 7 of 24 from 3. Yeah, so, they, if you're not knocking down your threes against Texas Tech, I mean, it's going to make it tough. Yeah, so. and they weren't getting that many clean looks either from 3. You know, they were they were firing them up with some pressure about half the time. Yeah, they were. But, and the, yeah, and the I, thing with, with Henry is he, he, was, he was in foul trouble, though. I mean, he only ended up yeah. playing 26 minutes, and they had to put McQuaid on. Uh, like Mooney and Culver's because Aaron Henry's in foul trouble the whole like second half. He only played the what twenty six minutes. Yeah, and that's so like, he only really, had two fouls. So I, yeah, I kind of don't. It did seem like Izzo was trying to hold him back because of fouls, but he only had two fouls. So, but yeah, I, I know what you're saying. I mean, it, maybe Izzo thought the the moment was too big for Henry, but Henry he was three for three from the field, four right. for four from the free throw mm-hmm. line. He had eleven points. That, so that was just the guy that I was like. If McQuaid's not able to get to the hoop, if he's getting blocked, if if Goins isn't doing his thing, you know, maybe this is a game that you give the freshman and you say, "Hey, man, use your athleticism, try and get some buckets," because no one else was doing it really. You know, as dominant as Texas Tech was, 
Did you think when the Spartans came at them there in the four in you know late in the game and got within a point? Do you think they were going to win it at that point? I I did. I thought they had it all the momentum going. I, I was sweating bullets as soon as they had that that double timeout. You saw back deja vu when we had the same exact thing the first time Michigan played Michigan State when we went on a run and then they called timeout and then they came out of the timeout and then Iggy immediately followed like Kathy Winston I think and then it went back to another timeout so it was like back to back timeouts and timeouts and when Matt McQuaid had a shot in the corner it was about a minute forty left and he just and he just missed it I thought for sure when that ball was there I thought that was going down that's like that's what made me kind of sad about Matt McQuaid I would have loved him to be a Mark Sanders legend. As much as it would have pained me to see Michigan State lose, but if that shot dropped and he just he goes to the most standard floor, I, I would have been okay with that. That's the one way I would have been okay with that. When McQuaid had that shot in the corner that you're talking about, Jared, why? I mean, he was wide open, and that's a shot we've seen him knock oh. down all season. I, I thought for sure when he left his hands, I was like, "That's good, Michigan State is going to take the lead. They're going to win." But then I think a play or two after that, Kenny Goins had an open three-two from the other side of the court, and same thing. I mean, we saw him knock one down against Duke. And they both those guys missed those shots. So that's what I mean. It was just one of those things where the rest of the season, well, most of the season, late in the season and, and uh, in tournament play, Michigan State was knocking down those shots. Cassius Winston was knocking down those shots. Last night they weren't, and Texas Tech was. So, you know, tip your cap to the, the Red Raiders. Now let me throw this on the table, and we'll talk about game one too. But uh, and, and I don't want this to come across too negative, but I want to throw this on the table because it, it occurred to me. You know, we've talked about Tom Izzo being a Hall of Fame type coach. I mean, obviously the Final Fours he's been to, he has won a national championship. You know, it looked like this year might be his chance for number two. And if all goes well, Spartans will be right there knocking on the door again next year. But, you know, if you look at the whole scheme of Tom Izzo's coaching career with the one championship and the, the multiple Final Fours, is it a fair uh, comparison to, let's say, in baseball, Bobby Cox and the Braves of the 90s? So dominant in their division, you know, they made it to five World Series and only won one. I mean, is is that a fair comparison, you think, to what Izzo's had going on there? You know, he's he's done a fantastic job and obviously getting to the, the Final Four is basically the same thing as college basketball's version of the World Series. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think that's fair, and I've seen people throw around nicknames calling Izzo Big Ten Bayheim because comparing him to Jim Bayheim because you know him with Syracuse, he won that title with Carmelo Anthony, you know, basically 20 years ago, not long after Michigan State won theirs with uh, Tom Izzo, and uh, they, Syracuse hasn't really done anything ever since then. Uh, been to some Final Fours and you know been in the tournament, all that kind of stuff, but. So, yeah, I mean, the the Braves in the 90s, you know, Syracuse maybe. I think Izzo is better, has, has a better run than what Syracuse does with Jim Beheim. But right. Spartan fans hate to hear it. I mean, I kind of went off a little bit last podcast, and, you know, Spartan fans hate to hear it because they, they put Tom Izzo up on this pedestal, and, you know, rightfully so. He's the best coach in their program's history. You cannot not knock one and eight in the Final Four. I mean, that you, you make the Final Four eight times, hell of an accomplishment. You can't take that away, not – Many coaches have been to, you know, had that kind of success. You're only one in eight. You can't, you can't say that there's, there's nothing to be said about that. One of my buddies brought it up. If Tom Brady won that Super Bowl, the first Super Bowl, when Drew, Drew Bledsoe got hurt, Tom Brady comes in, wins that Super Bowl, and then he never won one the rest of the time. Still went to all these Super Bowls, but never won one, and he was one in eight in Super Bowls. Would he still be looked at as, like, the greatest quarterback of all time? Yeah, I mean, stats don't lie, right? You can still say Izzo's up there with the greats of all time, but... You know, people were saying, like, Duke has only been to X amount of Final Fours, you know, in the last 10 or 10 or so years. 
Yeah, but they win titles when they go to the Final Four. I, I would say this, Matt, it's a lot easier to make it to a Super Bowl than it is to win the national title. I mean, if you if you get a bye in the first round of the playoffs, all you do is win, what, two two games and you're there? Or just, yeah, two games and you're in the Super Bowl. So, although, like, I get what you're saying where Tom, is, or Tom Brady clearly wouldn't be considered the best of all time if he had a terrible record in the Super Bowl, but I just think that, and I know that we don't like the saying, but it's like it's kind of like comparing apples to oranges almost. I will say this about Izzo and the one and eight like championships like out of all the Final Fours he's been to. You can't you can't take away the Final Fours, but at what point do we like you said, Matt? Like at what point do we start to just knock him for that? You can't get there year after year and then just kind of lose and fall apart like in an embarrassing fashion, kind of like last night. It was the same way with Michigan when they played Texas Tech. It's embarrassing to watch that game. People are calling it Skip Bayless is calling it March Badness. How bad they looked up <laughs> when they were playing. Yeah, I gotta give I gotta give him credit on that one. I don't care for the guy, but that was a good comment. Thinking about uh, Thomas Hill's run to the Final Fours, I saw this, and you know anyone can go back and look at these stats, but I saw someone put it out there in a tweet, you know, and, and this is something to think about. So Tom Izzo has made six Final Fours since Michigan State's national championship in 2000, almost 20 years ago. Six Final Fours, still, I mean, that's impressive. In that span, he has in, a, in those Final Fours an 11-point loss, 16-point loss, 9-point win. 17-point loss, a close two-point loss, a 20-point loss, and then last night's 10-point loss. So, right, he, he's got a win and, and a one close loss. All the rest of those games are blowouts. So, I don't know. He, he, he's a great coach. I mean, I, not, I think there's a lot of programs in the country who would take Tom Izzo tomorrow if he wanted to coach for their team, you know, because he's one of the best of all time. But yeah, well, 1-8 I, in the Final Four, it, you can't I, just ignore that. I think it bothers him yeah, more than anybody, you know. And, and but you, you're right; he he struggled in the final four. But you got to give the guy some credit for making final fours. I mean, the one stat was what he had 24 recruiting classes, and 23 of them had a chance to play in a final four. That's pretty impressive. Impressive, yep. Man, I mean, would you trade what Beeline has done for Izzo's? Like, let's say Beeline, when it's all said and done, he's the same exact stat as Izzo. Would you be happy as a Michigan fan? I know I probably would. Oh yeah, that's, that's what I mean. That's, that's why Spartan fans love Izzo. I mean, because he's he's their greatest coach of all time. So yeah, he's got the national championship, and at least they're in the Final Four. You know, there's a lot of schools who don't even make the tournament. So at least they've got that. He's made 22 straight tournaments, 14 Sweet 16s, eight Final Fours, and those stats don't lie either. That's right. <laughs> and as Jared's pointed one, out before, one in, eight in the Final Four though that doesn't lie either. Well, as Jared's pointed out before, this is kudos again to Izzo. He's the last Big Ten coach to uh, drink the champagne and win a national championship. They actually asked him about that at the post-game press. You know, what's it been like? Keep on making it to the Final Four and losing. He said, like, I'm going to put my big boy pants on. He did say this, though. This is something that bothers me, and Michigan State fans abide by the same stupid rule, that he puts a lot more stock into how the season went than, he, like, the Big Ten regular season than he does for the Big Ten tournament. And he kind of applied that to the NCAA tournament, but he looked at the season as a whole, not just how they performed in the NCAA tournament. Which I just think is a complete wrong way to look at it. I would be fine if I if I eat in as a bubble team into the tournament and then make it to the Final Four. That's a lot better season than winning the Big Ten and winning the Big Ten tournament and then just losing in the first weekend like Mr. State is on the four. Like, what do you guys think? Like, I completely disagree with when he, when he said that. And it's, just, it's kind of the same. It's a thought process that a lot of State fans have. That just because, you know, you lose a couple times early in the tournament and then you decide that you don't care about it almost anymore. Until you start winning again, then you beat Duke, then it's the biggest game in the world. I think there's value, obviously. People value the regular season more than the tournament sometimes, you know, your conference regular season. But the, the thing to me that always comes back, I, 
you know, some teams just get hot in the tournament and win three straight games in the conference tournament. Cool, they get a banner in the Big Ten, the Big 12, whatever tournament. You know, uh, the regular season championship, that's over a four-month span or whatever it is. So, you know, that's that's maybe a, a greater picture of, like, how your season went. My thing is, though, like, the, the schedule isn't necessarily round-robin. So, like, this year, you know, Purdue didn't play Michigan twice. Um, I don't even think Purdue played Michigan State twice. Their schedule down the stretch was a little easier than Michigan and Michigan State. So, so that's when the regular season championship to me is almost, you don't want to put an asterisk, but, you know, sometimes it's, it's not as even as, you know, the tournament to me. But, I don't know, to each their own. Yeah. Well, I, it's too bad they don't have a full round robin. But I've always looked at the regular season as more of a grind, more of an accomplishment than just getting hot on a weekend myself. You know? Yeah, and it, it's similar in football, too, because there's years that, you know, your, your schedule is a little easier. Like, Michigan's always going to play Michigan State and Ohio State, but, you know, sometimes sometimes they don't play Wisconsin or sometimes they don't play Iowa or Penn State. So, so you know, sometimes is it like, is that as fair as, as if it was a tournament type of situation? Now, now you know, we talk Michigan. We talk Michigan State here on the podcast. Let's throw this out on the table uh, because we did talk about Michigan's season. We had our opinion on whether it was a great season with 30 wins and uh, the three losses to the Spartans and then getting drilled by Texas Tech. How would you categorize Michigan State's season now that it's over? I will say this real quick before I'm sure, Jared, you can jump in. It was funny to me to see the tide turn, I guess if you want to say it that way, when when Michigan was getting drilled by Texas Tech and every Spartan fan was ripping them, oh, you can only score 16 points in the first half, you suck, you guys are overrated, all these kind of things. And then they got to see what Texas Tech defense was all about, and they were kind of putting their foot in their mouth. It is true that that did happen. Can we just talk about this before I uh, answer your question, Ted? Sure. That's just Winston. When are we going to talk about how badly he played? Four of 16, 16 points, two boards, two assists, four turnovers. Yeah, he didn't so play well. He Wasn't doing and yet people want to see here before the game, if you ask anyone, he was the best point guard in America. I don't know how you can say that after watching what I just saw. I mean, he was playing like the best point guard in America for the last, I don't know what you want to say, two months or something. Um, so, I mean, I think that was valid. But, yeah, like, I mean, he he didn't show up. He knocked down a couple shots, you know, to kind of keep the game close. But, you know, Matt Mooney, he, he locked him up, and, and Culver did a, a couple times that he was guarding him. So, yeah, that was the game that, I mean, we've been saying for the last month or two that that's why Michigan State was winning these games because they had Cassius Winston, you know, taken over late even against Michigan. He did all three times against Michigan. You know, he had a great game against Duke. He didn't have a great game yesterday. No, you he know, didn't. It happens, but it kind of sucks that it happened on that stage. Yep. But in terms of, of like Michigan State, whether it's season or success, I think it's a really good success. That's a really weird phrase I just said. Really, good, <laughs> it's a really good success. But <laughs> you can't say great, can yeah. you? You can't say yeah, great. Watch out! Don't say great. You might you might uh, hear something. <laughs> the thing that Michigan State fans are always going to have to think about is like with last year with Michigan, we were like. We were never going to beat Villanova. That was a team that was head and shoulders above everybody else. But this Final Four was so open, and it just seems like if Michigan State hits a shot, the year a shot there, they're going to be a national champion. And I just, if I was a state fan, like, it's a successful season. You had the Duke win. Obviously, that was a big win. But it's just, how can you look at this and not think, man, what if? Just hit one or two more shots, like, we're a national champion. Oh, you have to look at it that way. There's no doubt about it, but that's two separate questions. I mean, Big Ten champions in the uh, what the tournament and regular season co-champions uh, making it to the Final Four. I mean, you got to classify it as a great season, don't you? Like Jared said last week, the Final Four is the end-all, be-all, right? Right. Yeah, but also on the point, they were so close, and you only get so many opportunities where you really have the team 
that sh- that can win the national championship, and they had that kind of team this year. And you only get so many opportunities. Yeah, they've had eight of them, <laughs> but you know it's it's tough to do. And you gotta you gotta step up on uh, Final Four Saturday to get that win, and then take care of business Monday night. That's what they do every year. That's why we watch the song at the end of the game on Monday night. <laughs> so I just want to share the story real quick about Texas Tech. So David Moretti, he's he's from Italy. He's a player on their team. He plays all he's like a sophomore. His play, parents just came and watched him play basketball for the first time, like in their entire life. I, I never have understood those stories, Lions. How have you never like just watched him play like a high school game or something, whatever it is in Italy? How have you never just seen him play? Yet you're going to send him across, like halfway across the world, to play at Texas Tech. And that's another question I have: How does somebody from Italy, out of all the colleges? end up at Texas Tech. Of, of all the schools he visited, he visited Connecticut, Indiana, Utah, and Texas Tech. Where do you get those four schools? Like, And it's the same thing here at Grand Valley. Like, People come from all across the world. They come to Grand Valley. <laughs> Wait, how does that, where does that happen? How does that happen? What are you not doing at like UCLA or USC or one of those just like a big-time school? Like, How do you end up at Texas Tech? And how do your parents never see you play? I don't understand it. That, that's a hell of a question, and I have no answer to that one. I don't know. I mean, who knows, the traveling logistics. We don't know, you know, is it not as easy for them to get over here and watch a game? Maybe he had a connection with uh, their coach, Coach Beard, you know, at Texas Tech. Maybe he really liked him. Maybe sometimes it is actually for academic reasons, you know, maybe. <laughs> but, but yeah, it is kind of crazy to think. Like, if, you, if you're not going for a, a sports scholarship, why, like, yeah, like you said, people end up at Grand Valley. Or, like, if someone just randomly ends up at a school like Texas Tech, it is kind of funny to think about. I remember it happened last year, too, with Michigan, like Mo Wagner's, I think just his mom came right. over from Germany and watched that tournament run, and it was a similar story with Moretti. I can understand that. I mean, I, I guess the part that had me scratch my head is Jared started it off saying that the parents never saw a high school game. Is that really true? I didn't hear That's high school I got. game. I knew college. Yeah. I'm just telling you what I read. Okay, I'm just because that—that's huh. a baffler. Because I know his dad; he's a professional basketball coach in Italy, isn't he? Yeah. So you got to believe he saw him play somewhere along the line. Sounds like uh, yeah. Sounds like this might not have been the best source. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna agree with you. The fact that he was a professional basketball coach in Italy, I'm gonna guess that he saw him play at least once or twice. I would think up. so. I do understand that. Uh, just it probably... completely change the story. Just completely change the topic 100, percent so that I don't continue to get look like an idiot. Uh, Chris Beard, <laughs> have you heard his story? Eight years ago, you know how much money he was making, Ted? Uh, $150,000. $11,000. Wow. And I don't know if you knew this. There was a, there's an ABA, in, ABA league when he was a coach of the South Carolina Warriors. I didn't even know the ABA was still a thing. Is that still a thing on like the East Coast, Matt? I never heard of it. I've heard a couple of people talk about it. It's, I didn't know it was like the ABA like the old ABA. I think it's a different thing. But like minor league base, basketball, basically. It's got to be. He was making eleven. Okay, eight years ago. Now here he is coaching in the national championship. Do you know how much money he's I mean, making this year? For the guy. You know how much he's making this year? I believe, like, what, $3 million? A couple million with some bonuses, yeah. How much you think his raise is going to be, or is UCLA going to come with a whole boatload of money or somebody like that? So you would think his phone's going to be ringing off the hook. I mean, He's a heck of a coach. Yeah, heck of a coach. And I, I did five of their games this year um, throughout the regular season. Put them on TV for on ESPN, and uh, so we get to see a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff, like conference calls with the coaches, um, a lot of like 
schools will send us a ton of video, like stuff they do um, that they want us to put on TV during the game, you know, like whether they do some funny stuff or, you know, practice video, you know, whatever it is. He did this thing. I forget what he called the segment, but he sits like, I don't know if you guys saw the video, he sits by a fireplace and, like, reads a bedtime story <laughs> or reads some stuff to his players. It's hilarious. His players love it. Like, we, we watch a lot of them. We just sat in the production room and just, like, watched them and cracked up. Um, he's a charismatic dude. He's a great coach, and yeah, you got to wonder if he's going to be at Texas Tech very long. Yeah, well, if they're I, if they're smart and they must have Texas oil money, you know they they need to ante up and and bump that contract. I guess he's in the top thirty in Division One basketball, but he ought to be probably in the top ten, I would think, especially after this run this year. Yeah, I mean, he also had, he had roots with Texas Tech too. He was a Bob Knight yep. coach there. Yep, absolutely. He had a couple right. cameos on that like reality show, that walkout reality show. I was watching a couple clips on YouTube because I'm very bored a lot of the time. <laughs> and, yeah, he has a couple cameos on that show. I like it. Yeah, so he might stay there for a little while, you know? Yeah. Well, before we wrap up the Spartan uh, Spartan loss there, one thing I did want to throw out there is uh, they should be loaded next year. If they keep – if Winston comes back, which I would think he would, I don't know if Ward will or not, but if they keep the whole core back with their recruits, it's going to be another good year for Sparty. You know, Sparty in Michigan again. We'll be talking again on the podcast next winter. It should be because, yeah, I mean, obviously they're going to lose uh, Kenny Goins and Matt McQuaid, so right. two really big pieces. But, you know, Henry's going to step up. Yeah, if Winston, Ward come back, Tillman's only going to get better. And obviously, like you said, the recruits coming in, uh, they, they should be good. You never know. Like, I mean, college kids, you know, they still hang out all summer and everything like that, but you never know, like, how the, a new team will gel, even if it's a bunch of the same players, you know. Uh, but yeah, they they definitely should be loaded. But same with Michigan, because yep. yeah, I mean that you know Iggy and Pool, uh, you know there's questions if they're going to go to the league. But Matthews, Charles Matthews is gone. If everyone else comes back, they basically have the same starting five as Isaiah Livers. And so yeah, Michigan, Michigan State, they should be right back in it next year. Matthews, you think he's going to play like G League or something, or play in Europe? Because I don't see an NBA career ahead of him right in the near future anyway. He's a G leaguer, just like Cassius Winston will be. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Duncan Robinson's on an NBA roster, and he started a few games, and I don't, he he played D three ball a few years ago. So, yeah. you know, I, I yeah, the way he played down the stretch, Charles Matthews, yeah, maybe didn't look like an NBA player, but you know, he he can score. He is a, he's athletic. You know, he gets some NBA coaching. He might find himself on a roster. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. We got to talk about that uh, other bracket game before we do, though. I want to. Just to pass on to our listeners, man, it was a full house last night at Rivals Tap House and Grill. That is the official sports bar of Three Point Podcast. The Masters is coming up. The Tigers are underway, and they're hot all of a sudden. Pistons fighting for a playoff spot. Head over to Rivals Tap House and Grill. Check out the coverage on 21 high-def flat screens and their huge 10-foot screen. That's Rivals Tap House and Grill across from Meyer in Corona. And, guys, that uh, that Auburn-Virginia game was just tremendous man what a finish in that one and boy did that create a lot of controversy i gotta say this before we hear jared's take i would have to guess that jared thought the foul call at the end of the game was bs no i think the foul call was the right call but we just can't overlook the double dribble i mean it's a double dribble and everyone missed it i missed it Matt, you didn't notice it when it happened. Ted, you didn't notice it. Absolutely it did. I tell you what, I am an expert at watching basketball. As soon as that happened, I'm not lying, I'll swear on a Bible, immediately I said to my wife, that's a double dribble. So take it back. 
was this uh, on DVR recording after you? It was it live, and you can. I said I'd swear on a Bible. What more do you want? All right, that's fair. So apparently <laughs> Ted did see that. So I guess what I'm about to say disregard. Um, I actually heard this from like Mark Titus, like, and I'm actually going to steal it because I, I, it's spot on. If Ty Jerome didn't look so comp- like confident after he double dribbled, it, it, it would have been called. But he, it just looked like nothing had happened. He just kept going like right as if nothing had happened. Whereas if that happened to me, people would have expected me to do something stupid like that, like double dribble. As soon as anything like that would have happened, I'm getting whistled, and it's a double dribble going <laughs> Auburn's ball right away. That is a pretty good point. He did continue on like nothing happened. And then, I mean, who knows? He really might not have even known he double dribbled. You know, he kind of fumbled the ball around, picked it up, kept going. Right. You know, it, in the heat of the moment, he might not have even thought that he – double dribbled but yeah there is that whole thing with like you know act like you've been there you know like if you get a pass interference call in football or something like sell it and yeah i mean that's kind of like the opposite you don't want to sell the double dribble i guess but i mean yeah i always just think like when you know i saw like kenny smith and some of the other analysts saying after the game like and, and it is definitely 100 percent true like you're a referee you're paid especially you're on the biggest stage that's your job you know you're paid to call the game correctly you hope but I just always think too, like these dudes are, you know, or men or women are, they're human. Like they're going to make mistakes. Same in the NFC Championship game. Like these things are going to happen. I bet we could roll back the game tape of that game and probably find ten or fifteen other missed calls or calls that could go one way or the other. Um, it just sucks that that one happened, you know. Yeah, and I would say Bruce Pearl and uh, Charles Barkley, they handled that about as well as you can handle that situation. The whole thing, the way that game ended. I, I, I kind of agree with Kenny Smith, though. He was about the only one on that four-man panel that kind of was criticizing the referees there. They were kind of sugarcoating it, I thought, when they were talking about it. I mean, these refs, these aren't high school refs refing Iron Mountain and Pawama Westphalia, for God's sakes, for $45. They, they get 2000 bucks to do a professional job for that game. And, yeah, I agree with you, Matt. They're human, and I'm not saying crucify the guy, but, man, if you're, if you're in the Final Four leading to a national championship, and, and I disagree with Jared, to me, that was an obvious double dribble, and how none of the refs saw it, 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 it almost brings up that argument, here we are, you know, it's human factor again. Yeah, there, those mistakes happen earlier in the game as well, but when it is crunch time, when the lights are shining the brightest, and they have technology like instant replay in the last minute of a game, should a coach be able to say, hey, that's double dribble. Can you look at the monitor? Why not? I guess the only thing I would say, well, there was a stoppage of play after that because then a foul was called. But, like, had that play kept going, you know, like is a coach supposed to, like, stop the play, you know, whatever, throw a flag or whatever they're going to do and say, <laughs> hey, we got to challenge that, that's a double dribble. You know, because, like, I, I don't know, like, football's different. Like, the play stops. The game basically stops after every play. Right. But, you know, like, basketball, it would be kind of hard for me to – have a coach like throw out challenges if they think they saw a double dribble or if they think they saw a travel like if the play kept going you'd have to have a stoppage you know. of play for sure i mean that that in basketball you'd have to have that happen which, so then, like, which they so did my thing just thinking about it so then my thing like say that that play kept going and a guy hit a bucket right so then like would you take that basket off yeah i guess you would have to take you'd it have to. off the board like I, yeah there would just be a lot to it but but no, I mean, when you see, when you, we have the technology, we do, and you know that that's the whole thing in the NFL, and you know, basically every other sport, exploring instant replay. Like, you want to get the calls right, 
and I don't know, talking about getting the call right, that, that play at the end of the game, like, it was a foul. Yep. I, I mean, like you said, Charles Barkley handled it right. Bruce Pearl did. It was a foul. Barkley, Barkley said the same thing. He was like, it was the right call. It was a foul. Tough one, but it was a, it was the right call, man. And what that that player, he still doesn't think he fouled him, but man, you got to take your chances and just jump straight up in the air if you're even going to jump at all when he's firing up a desperation three. And if he hits it, so be it. You still get the ball back in the same situation, right? You could tell that he was he did not want to foul, and he knew. Yep. Like he's just like don't foul. Like he pulled his arms back. He he knew the he what did. he was about to do, and he just and he ended up following him. The thing that I kind of bothered me is that we were like robbed of an ending. We were but we were robbed of an ending, but it still was a good ending. I mean, Kyle Guy walking on the free throw line and hit three of them right in a row. Like you just got to you got to tip your hat to that. You don't see that a lot. And it feels like the March Madness tournament is a lot of missed free throws. Him to step up to the line like he did, and just, it was without a question he was going to hit all three. After he hit that first one, just two complete bottoms. You knew he wasn't going to miss the next two. Yeah. Did you guys see uh, LeBron, uh, Skip Bayless? You were talk- we were talking about Skip Bayless' tweet. Uh, did you see his tweet right in the midst of these free throws? No. He said, uh, this would be LeBron's worst nightmare. <laughs> I just This guy, he knows his brand. He's on fire all the time. I love Skip Bayless. Yeah. Uh, maybe I maybe I should follow him on Twitter, but I just can't stand watching him on TV. He's a really nice guy, but he, yeah, on TV he's kind of something else. Yeah. But, yeah, like you said, Jared, he knows his brand, hating on LeBron. That's pretty funny. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I thought the same thing. When Guy stepped up and struck that first one, it was like he, he stepped up like he was – in practice in the middle of the summer or something like that with no pressure. That was that was impressive. And then to hear him say after the game, like, you know, he'd be lying if he said he wasn't, you know, scared shitless. Freak, freaked out up there. But, yeah. you know, like like the kid in the high school game and, and, you know, the MHSAA state championship, you know, you just got to step up and you've made a million of them. Just step up and do the same thing you've done a million times. Yeah, and he did it and he was the hero and he was a former Mr. Basketball in Indiana. How about that? He didn't go to Indiana, didn't go to Purdue. He's at uh, Virginia and now in the national championship game. Just amazing. I love the way he shot his free throws. One dribble, boom, fire it up. Yeah. The thing that is like getting forgotten in, the, in all the ref like controversy is the two shots that Virginia hit to even get it, to have the chance to even tie it or win the game there with Kyle Guy at the end. I mean, Kyle Guy had a sweet shot and actually should. I got a shot at my uh, pops here. So back when Purdue beat Virginia, as soon as I got home, I told you guys I wasn't really watching the game. I was out in an arbor that night, so I didn't really watch the game. And he, he's like, here, come watch this. Like, this is, I really like how Virginia does this. So he grabs like his paper, and he draws up a play. Where So basically what it is is Virginia's guard, Clark, drives into the paint. Then when he drives, they have like a flare screen by the, the center screen, uh, the guy who's guarding like Kyle Guy or Jerome, and he flies to the corner, and then they dish it to him, and he hits a three. And I kind of didn't think anything of it, like, oh, yeah, that's kind of cool. But then Jay Billis literally comes out with a video describing that exact play. <laughs> and that's what Virginia ran when they hit those two big shots. So, shout out to him. He, he knows a little bit more basketball knowledge than I did. I'm not sure why none of that trans, none of that translated to me. <laughs> uh, I guess the apple falls far, far from the truth. I think you were concentrating on football. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on other stupid like, things that are like jerseys and stupid shit that doesn't really matter. <laughs> I mean, we're recording this on uh, Sunday night. The big game's tomorrow night, you know. Virginia, Texas Tech, any any thoughts on that? I was going to say something real quick, kind of piggybacking off what Jared just said about drawing up a play. Yep. You know, I, I was thinking about it, uh, too. I was talking, texting some buddies during the game, and Jared, you mentioned Skip Bayless calling it March Badness. You know, NBA, the NBA brand of basketball is a little different. They, they do run plays once in a while. It's mostly pick and roll and one-on-one ball, it seems like. But, yeah, in college basketball, they legitimately they run set plays just like that. And uh, 
you know, Skip fired out that tweet. I saw a bunch of other people talking about, like, you know, when you see that first half where basically both teams only scored 20 points in the Michigan State game, we all love college basketball, especially March Madness, but the actual, like, brand of basketball, how good the basketball is, it makes me laugh when I hear people say, like, college basketball is so much better. It's pure basketball. This is the way basketball is supposed to be played. The NBA is just one-on-one, hero ball, blah, blah, blah. Like, do you guys feel that way? Or, like, do you watch some of these games and you're like, I just think sometimes, man, there's a reason why the vast majority of these guys don't make it to the NBA. The, I would say this. The Michigan State-Texas Tech game was a bad game. Those are just teams missing shots. But the Virginia-Auburn game, I mean, there was only 13 turnovers combined between the two teams. Like, it was just two pretty good defenses and two teams, like, played pretty well. So I can say that that wasn't necessarily a bad game, but sometimes you do watch the games, like the Michigan-Texas Tech, Michigan State-Texas Tech, and even, like, the end of the game of, like, Duke-Michigan State, where it's just, like, Zion Williamson is shooting shots. And you just got to think. Like, this would not happen in the NBA, and it's just, it is kind of ugly basketball sometimes. Yeah, and I think the old man opinion here is I like the college game better just because of uh, uh, the questions that you have. You know, you don't have all superstars out there. The NBA in the regular season, to me, seems more like a, a show and go offensive affair. You know, I mean, yeah, they play some team ball, but when you get to the playoffs, that's when I really start paying attention to the NBA, and I think then you really see how great those guys are, both offensively and defensively. Just always think about that when I hear people say like college basketball is so much better than the NBA, and mm-hmm. watch some of these games, and it's like a final thirty-two thirty. Like, yeah, how can you say that there in the NBA? But <laughs> uh, yeah, you brought up the national championship game, and Virginia is, I think, like Ken Palm has them ranked as like the best offense. I think in college basketball, Ken Palm has Texas Tech ranked as the best defense in college basketball. I guess that's a storyline right there, right? Yeah. Virginia's offense versus Texas Tech's defense. So if you go by the old cliche, defense wins championships, I guess you go with Texas Tech. Yeah, I mean, Virginia's a one-and-a-half-point favorite. I mean, the over-under is, like, unbelievably low, 118.5. Wow. That is going to make this game, like, really interesting or extremely, extremely boring, depending on how you look at it. Is Texas Tech is 229th in tempo out of the entire country, out of 353 teams. Virginia is dead last, 353rd in tempo. So it's going to be an extremely slow game. And I think if I had to make a prediction, Ted, you're either going to DVR this game and watch it on Tuesday morning because it starts at 9.20 at night. <laughs> yeah, I don't like that, but I'll watch it. I'll watch it. I probably will DVR the post game because i got to see one shining moment, man. you got to see one is, shining that moment. That is true. Yeah. What is it with the late starts of these like weeknight games? Same with the national championship football game. Yeah. Start it at maybe. 8 o'clock normal time. West Coast. Twenty. Matt, maybe you as the guy who's worked in like TV production, like why is that? Is the ratings really that much better if you start it later? I mean, it's all about TV. and I mean, Minnesota's in a – see, this is where the East Coast bias thing comes in. Everyone, you know, we're in the, the Eastern time zone. We forget that some of these other time zones are behind us. So, you know, I, I, I think people forget about that sometimes. And I think, I don't know, it, yeah, they must look at the ratings and see that that time slot is where it should be. I do see, though, that uh, completely different tangent that uh, ESPN and Sunday Night Baseball, they moved up an hour, which made some sense. Yeah, I think that was smart because those Sunday night games were getting over sometimes at 1, maybe even 2 in the morning. Exactly. Brutal when when you're cutting the highlight or working <laughs> on Sports Center and you're just sitting there waiting for that, that damn game to end. But, but yeah, that was yeah. a smart move. Yeah, maybe with that move, I'll actually be able to know that reference you made earlier about the Braves. <laughs> Look it up. Yeah, it's it's right called Google. What was the guy's name? Ray, Ray No, Cox? Bobby Cox. Bobby Cox, one of the best managers in baseball history. 
And let me let I'm me. Thinking of uh, the, the the founder of McDonald or like the the owner of McDonald's, Ray Kroc. <laughs> Ray Kroc. <laughs> no, oh. Bobby Cox, C O X. And if you're gonna be if you're gonna compare Izzo to anybody, uh, it's better him than Marv Levy of the Buffalo Bills. He made it to the Super Bowl four straight times and lost them all. All right, anything else we want to wrap up on uh, Final Four National Championship? I'm going to just say right now, again, we're recording Sunday night. Texas Tech's going to win this one. That's just my gut feel. Close game, but I think the defense is going to is going to pave the way again. I, li- I like your defense wins championships, and seeing Texas Tech shut down Michigan, shut down Michigan State, yeah, I feel like I, it would be the, the right pick with Texas Tech. I like what you said last week, though, after Virginia got upset last year Destiny. in the tournament, yeah. you know, by the 16, first team ever to get upset by a 16 seed as a number one. I think that kind of, I don't know if you want to call it karma or, you know, whatever, they got some good luck on their sure. side. Um, I'm, I'm going with the, the Cavaliers, maybe because I'm a Cavalier. Oh, I never thought about that one. How, Jared, you break the tie here. I, I saw, uh, I actually got a few different thoughts on this. So, actually, like Chris Rilica, the Bear, on game day, he had a tweet that I loved. He said, the basketball gods, after you know, giving Virginia the scarlet letter last year of losing to a 16 seed, have kind of like rewarded them in multiple different ways this year, like with the refs and all the other way, like the buzzer beater against Purdue, or not necessarily buzzer beater, but buzzer tire. Yeah. Um, what I will say, the good thing about this game is they both have great storylines. You, lo- I love both coaches. I love both the teams. Just whoever wins, I'm going to be happy. Whoever wins, I mean, obviously Virginia coming back from the 16 seed loss last year. Then you have Chris Beard. We talked about his story earlier eight years ago. I was making more money than him a year. So it's just kind of – actually, full disclosure, I don't know if I make 11 k in a year. It'd be close. Um, but I think Texas Tech is going to win this because Tom Izzo in the postgame presser, he actually said that was the first time in his career that his team had been, quote, out PPTPW'd by a team. And what that means is players play, tough players win. He said it's the first team that's ever done that to him in his entire career. So if you can do that to Michigan State and Tom Izzo, make him – you know, bend the knee like he did in that postgame presser, I think you're going to beat Virginia, who notably Michigan State has always had their number. Well, I do agree with you one thing. I don't have a horse in the race. Uh, I, I'll be happy with whoever wins it. I hope it's a good game and uh, another college basketball season in the can. <laughs> hope it's a good game. That, that's, that's a big right. thing, especially for having to stay up that late. I did see a tweet that was funny. I wanted to see. I don't know if you guys saw it. Someone said, Tom Izzo's championship is old enough to be yelled at by Tom Izzo. <laughs> I did see that. That's pretty funny. But, no, Jared, you've thrown out a couple things that just made me think back to my basketball days. PPTPW, that was our my senior year when we went to the Final Four. That was our model that year. We had it on our shorts, our practice shorts, and we broke the huddles every time and saying PPTPW. So definitely know what that means. And you, you threw out the, the kill drill that Chris Beard runs. Your dad ran, made us run that in practice uh, almost every day, and my God, it brings back like terrible memories. We we call it the man drill, and that's what it was. It was we would have four of us on basically a, a team of four, and the rest of the squad. So it was four on six, and we couldn't let the the offense basically of six man offense get a shot up. Not even make a shot. Not even they had to score. We couldn't let them get a shot up, and we had to do it three times in a row. So they got a shot up, start over. Yeah. There were there were also almost some fisticuffs during the man drill. I would say that the reason that that drill like wouldn't work for like my dumb team is that like if I ever got the ball, I would just launch a shot. They wouldn't even well, have any shot of going in, but I would just continue to just like launch shots. There, there was. I mean, yeah, you couldn't do that. I, I'm pretty sure like there was like an unwritten. It had to be like a legitimate shot. But, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying. That man, ooh, that was 
when your dad, when Coach Patel said, all right, man drill time, it was like, okay, here we go. He was a hell of a coach, no doubt about it. He drew it up. Jared was talking about it. Drew up the play. We talk pop culture here on the show along with sports, and we're going to get into some of that here in a moment. But uh, before we do, I just want to remind our listeners, check out SheridanAuctionService.com for info on upcoming auctions. Call 989-720-SELL for details or online at SheridanAuctionService.com for all their upcoming auctions. And uh, Troy Crow does a great job with that organization. Also, Advanced Elevator Company features top-of-the-line field technicians for installation, troubleshooting service, and repair of elevators. An area business leader and longtime supporters of the Corona Public Schools and also the Michigan State Spartans. And uh, I I know the Jankas were at the game, so hopefully they're home safe and sound now and uh, looking forward to next year. But uh, we're going to have another episode of... uh, Tedertainment tonight, boys. A, a short one here, but uh, hit the music, Matt. All right. Now, we talked about it before. You know, I like Netflix. I like HBO. I'll, I'll start with Netflix. I had a chance to see the movie The Highwayman uh, with Costner and Harrelson, and uh, I thought it was very good. I thought uh, good acting. I thought the script at times was just a little shaky, could have been a little bit better. But who doesn't like the story of Bonnie and Clyde? And this was the story of the cops that ended up getting them. And I, I thought it was good. Did you guys get a chance to see it yet? I, I have seen it. And the thing that, like, my biggest takeaway from that movie was that was just so bizarre is that the very ending after they, spoiler alert, obviously Bonnie and Clyde, like, their whole car gets shot up. <laughs> They, like, take the Bonnie and Clyde's, like, dead bodies in their car through, like, a parade of yeah. some sort. Wasn't that bizarre? It's like, breaking into the car, trying to, like, touch them. Right. And they're literally just bloody, like, probably 15 bullet wounds in them, shots in their face. Like, just what? Like, just to show you how weird people were in 1930s, like, these were their celebrities. Just some yeah. robbers, I guess, which is pretty, it is pretty damn cool when you think about it. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was just, it's a bizarre scene. Yeah, if you get a chance, Matt, if you haven't seen it yet, I'd, I'd recommend it, especially being a Costner fan. Yeah, definitely want to see it. But that, that's what I was going to ask. So is it, it's based on a true story then? Oh, totally true, yeah. yeah. Is it sensationalized at all, or do you, do they stick pretty well to, like... Well, you know, it's hard to tell if it was sensationalized in some of the truth stretch, but the true story was uh, a retired uh, Texas Ranger, the, the governor of Texas at the time, had disbanded the Texas Rangers, so Costner was basically living a retired life. He was like, I don't know, a colonel or whatever in the Texas Rangers, and uh, they needed help. Bonnie and Clyde had been on the run for two years, killing cops, robbing banks, you know, just freelancing it across the Midwest and Texas. And uh, they reached out to Costner's character, who was partners with Woody Harrelson, back with the Texas Rangers. They uh, they they did their investigating. They tracked them. And, you know, like everybody knows about the ending, they, they caught up with them and took care of business. So, yeah, it wasn't too sensationalized, I didn't think. And the, that scene with them bringing the car through the town, I think that was totally true. Here's a little side note for you, as, as Jared likes to say sometimes. When I was young at the Shiawassee County Fair, the Bonnie and Clyde car made an appearance in one of the Carney tents. Really? The actual car, yeah, that was bullet cool. bullet hole ridden. Yeah, that was kind of neat. I actually heard this, uh, and then this is like the second thing I've kind of taken from some other show tonight, but it's just when I hear something good, i got to share it. Okay. They were talking about this movie, and they were saying – how about this for an idea of like an amusement park? You get paintball guns, you have like people, <laughs> like actors as like citizens, 
and you set up like a 1930s bank. Ooh. And the thing is, you try to rob, like you try to rob it, like you're a criminal, basically. You rob the bank. You try to see how far you can last with a paintball gun or whatever. Maybe it's like a, it's a closed course. Maybe like 30 or 40 miles thick. You got to escape. Tell me that, that you would not, Matt. I know you're a big Disney man guy. You've been there like 400 <laughs> times, which I think is a little crazy. Uh, but tell me that you would not rather attend this amusement park than Disney. Uh, I would go there in a heartbeat. I love. We used to play paintball all the time back home when we grew up. Like we just go out in the woods and shoot each other with paintball guns. But yeah, that that would sound amazing. Especially if you could come up with some different scenarios too, not just like bank robberies. Like I don't know other mm-hmm. stuff. That'd be a ton of fun. That would be amazing. I mean, I, I'm surprised they don't have a, a a video game in in that mode. You know, you would think. And there's a, there's literally a game that's all around uh, bank robbing. It's called Payday. Okay. How do you think uh, okay. you would fare? Uh, with your, with your new brand new hip, how, how would you last as a bank robber? How do you think you would do? <laughs> I'd probably be the getaway driver. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I will admit that what you laid out there, it sounds like it would be a blast, especially if you, you know, you expanded the area 30 miles and you had maybe uh, five or six banks, you know, in different areas. So, you, you know, and you had the cops, maybe you had... Uh, one group of deputies so you could kind of try to outsmart them because if you only had one bank that'd be awful tough to try and 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 get in the bank and they'd be waiting for you so you'd have to have some kind of intrigue to it that'd be fun that would be a blast i'm curious jared paintball guns got huge when i was growing up paintball guns weren't really around when you grew up right ted no no yeah i I was pretty sure they came out kind of when i was growing up that do kids like when you were growing up or you know or even now like is that still a big thing? Paintball guns? There's like a there's like a paintball place in Flint that we went to like twice. I think like just like fifteen of us like that are on the football team together. It was a lot of fun, but it's like I mean it's so expensive that it's like I don't know why it's not that fun for me to spend two hundred bucks on you know all the equipment and then join like a membership. Like you go for one day, you're you're paying fifty to sixty bucks. Well, let me ask it's you this: did, done with the rentals and the membership and everything. Did you ever play the cheaper version, the the laser tag? I think it was called. Yeah, Fun City in Owasso. I used to do that a lot. Was that any fun at all? That was cool. So the, thing that, the thing with, oh. with laser tag to me was like, I was I always wondered if like how accurate it was. Like dudes <laughs> would just be like firing off, and I'm getting shot. I'm like, I don't. You weren't even aiming at me. These these things must be messed up. Yeah, that is, they they never functioned right. That's so right. true, Matt. The thing that we used to play all the time was airsoft guns. Yeah, and my mom hated them. They weren't allowed <laughs> in the house. But the thing that was wrong with that is that everyone else in the neighborhood had them. And on the summers, there was this group of teenage kids that were probably like five, six years older than me and my friends, and they would just like take us hostage. They would, they would <laughs> take us hostage with the airsoft guns, and there, it would be like, oh, there goes a the whole summer day. We're just going to be their like their servants because <laughs> they have airsoft guns and we don't. And another time, we were playing basketball and we just got ambushed. Like five of us, like they surrounded us like in the woods and just unloaded on us. And that was the, I was, I remember crying running home. That was like the most painful thing I've ever had in my life. Getting stung by like a million bees. Yeah, it's kind of like paintballs. I mean, it, you get hit in the right place. It, it doesn't feel good. Yeah. But that that's what made paintball. Yeah, going to those like organized places, it was fun, like you said, but a little different. When we would just go out in the woods and basically like play war or, you know, whatever you want to call it, uh, it was it was pretty fun. So what did you do? You had your own paint paintball guns and then uh, just had a mask so you didn't get it in the face? Yeah, mask, and, uh, you know, some people had, like, the elbow pads, knee pads, you know, some other stuff, right. um, like, they would wear nut cups, you know, and I think some guys had, like, the chest protectors who went all out. <laughs> Main thing was the mask, so you definitely everyone wore a mask. Wow, I missed yeah, out I mean, on the, the rules, you tried to, 
not, you know, you said, like, don't aim for the head. Right. You don't want to do that. Um, (laughs) But we were kind of crazy. We used to, back in the woods, too, you remember the wrist rocket slingshots? Oh, yeah. That would, like, we we would fill our pockets with rocks, and all of us had wrist rockets, and we would go out in the woods and do the same thing shoot rocks at each other with those things that that was just stupid that's deadly yeah what i what i've never gotten about paintball is when i went it wasn't fun it was more like survival like i'd be sitting (laughs) behind a barrier and you just hear it getting sprayed with with shots (laughs) and i'm just sitting there i'm like how is this fun i'm like scared for my life right now i just want this to be over with not even fun peer pressure (laughs) yep (laughs) <laughs> also, guys, uh, moving on into uh, entertainment news, uh, Jared knows I have HBO. I had a chance to watch the four-parter, the case against Adnan Syed. You've heard about that story, right? Uh, it all started with a with a podcast called Serial, and th- this guy in 1999 was accused of killing his former girlfriend. Well, this four-part documentary series on HBO kind of investigates it and see if he was wrongly convicted. Uh, very interesting to watch if you get a chance and, and get to hook up to HBO. I, I'd recommend it. It was very well done. And the final one I want to bring up, Jared, I know you're a big Batman fan, aren't you? I love Batman. Have either of you guys checked into uh, on Fox Gotham that's wrapping up its run? Oh, God. Seriously, did you have you watched any of it? I've seen parts. I'm not a big T. I just once you get Netflix and I don't have to watch the commercials. I just think TV shows are kind of like corny. Okay. I mean, a lot of a lot of these shows are on Netflix too. So like you you don't have to watch them on network TV. Well, well, that's where that's where the DVR comes in handy. By the way, I mean, I I record it every week. I was just let me just put this out there for you, Jared. If you ever when it does go to Netflix, it's very interesting the way they've done it because it's about young Batman. It's really focused on uh, Inspector Gordon. Okay, but all the all the characters are there, the Joker, the Riddler, you know, it's it's a definitely a unique twist on the story. And I think it's very well done. It's very high production value, too. So, yeah, I've heard I've heard people say I I work with some people and some of my friends are like huge comic book movie people. Um, I'm I'm definitely not. I didn't get into comic books or ever growing up, but I, I like the Batman movies. They say that that show is actually like really good, really like you said, really well done. Sticks to the story, you know, the comics and stuff. So, might yeah. be worth a watch, Jared. Yeah, the only the only flaw that I see in it, there is a Batman character, young Batman, but I don't think enough of the Batman came out. It's more on the villains and Inspector Gordon. But like I said, the production values <laughs> tremendous. It's not. It's- <laughs> <laughs> it's Commissioner Gordon. It's not. A- oh, you're right. You're exactly right. <laughs> I was, I, at first, I was it's thinking like Inspector Gadget, but <laughs> I knew what you meant. But yeah, but that takes away some of my uh, entertainment tonight credibility. <laughs> right? I'm going no, off no, the I'm top of my head. I didn't have no. Did, did either of you guys see the new uh, Joaquin Phoenix uh, Joker trailer? While oh, we're talking about it, it looks awesome. Absolutely. I, I've heard you say it before, Jared. Though that. A lot of times, trailers are too much. They give away too much, and I thought this—I thought that when I was watching that trailer. I mean, it was like what, three, four-minute trailer? Yeah, yeah, it was, and it did. T- it left a lot to be filled in with, kind of like what went wrong with his wife. So I thought that's like, true. They, they kind of look like he got bullied or something. But I actually read something on Reddit, uh, and I don't think it's much of a spoiler. If it is, I apologize. But you know the scene in that trailer where—and this is kind of a niche topic. If you haven't, t- if you've seen the trailer, go see it. But he actually like makes a little kid smile, and that's actually Bruce Wayne at his parents' funeral. Oh, 
So that's a fun little tidbit if you watch the trailer. I like that tidbit. I'll have to look for that the next time I see it. I did see someone mention that. And speaking of like comic book movies or whatever, I, I'm not really into like X Men or you know Spider Man, whatever. Some of those, the Batman ones though, you know the Dark Knight series. Those are some of my favorite movies ever. I'm pretty pumped for this. I like Joaquin Phoenix a lot. But, like, what do you guys think? I see some people say, like, there are certain roles. You know, like, Heath Ledger just just killed the Joker. I mean, he was, like, great with the Joker uh, in the Dark Knight series. Do you think that's a role that shouldn't have been, like, touched again, you know, with another with somebody else? Or, you, you know, this is a different movie. You know, like, what do you guys think? I, think? I think if anyone was to touch it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't they star alongside each other in Brokeback Mountain? No. No, that was Jake Gyll- Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Your entire okay. Dis- disregard my entire point. So okay, you know what I'm gonna say it anyway. So just pretend as if Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix was uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. If anyone was gonna step to the mantle and take his place, it should be the guy who shared the screen with Heath Ledger, <laughs> Brokeback Mountain, which apparently means that Jake Gyllenhaal needs to be the next Joker. <laughs> All right, and it, it, I mean, I bet that makes a little bit of sense. I'll answer your question. I, th- I think it's okay to to come back and and have somebody else try to do that part you know I, I understand that ledger was fantastic and you know it's hard to beat that but from what i saw in the trailer i don't know and joaquin phoenix is he's not chopped liver as they used oh. to say in the old days the guy can act yeah he's great and i i remember seeing that like well whatever a year or two ago when they talked about this and him playing the joker the first thing i thought was one of my favorite movies ever is uh gladiator with russell crowe oh yeah and jo- joaquin phoenix is kind of the villain commodus in that he he is so good in that role that he like makes you hate him, you know. Yep. So I just thought like if he can do that in Gladiator, he's gonna be great as a Joker. Question on the Joker: If either one of you guys know, is it completely just focused on the Joker? Is Batman making an appearance? How how do they tie that in? Other than the young Bruce Wayne, obviously. I think I don't think it has much to do with maybe a sequel might have something to do with okay, uh, like the actual Bruce Wayne. But I think it's pretty much just centered around his. Backstory, his, his story, you know, how he became the Joker, or oh, whatever. Yeah, which, which yeah, is why I guess, it. like Matt, to answer your question, it's why I'm okay with them because it's not like a retread of it's not it's not him trying to impersonate like Heath Ledger. It kind of seems like he's putting his own spin on it. Yeah, yeah. By the way, guys, you'll be impressed with this. I will probably, in fact, more than likely, go see that at the theater. Have to. What do you think? That's one that? of those I feel like you got to see. In the I agree. Yep. All right, that's all I have for entertainment news. You guys got anything else you want to add to that? Are you not a Are you not a Game of Thrones guy? I am not. I hear that's uh, wrapping up, right? Yeah, it's coming up on Sunday. Talk about not. You know, I think as our Ted Entertainment Tonight guy, I think <laughs> it's your duty to kind of get caught up on that. Oh yeah, what am I watch eight seasons of it or however however long it's been on? Where do you draw the line? Here's a good question for you. I mean, there is only so many hours in the day, along with a work day, along with other duties you have. You know, you you have to kind of whittle down what you do as far as uh, movie watching and TV watching, don't you? Especially when you mix in a healthy dose of sports. What I would say is this: maybe cut out one or two of your uh, creepy serial serial killer uh, <laughs> dra- dramas. Never, Still in never. A Game of Thrones episodes, and I mean, what are we lying about here? I mean, you work from home on Fridays. Uh, how much of that is actually work and how much of that is Netflix? So maybe just binge a couple of seasons on one of these Well, Fridays. let me ask you one thing. I know Game of Thrones is uh, this phenomenon out there. I mean, what is the big draw to fairyland and, and dragons and, you know, medieval stuff that I've seen before? I mean, what's the big draw on Game of Thrones other than 
a lot of nudity. You got Peter Dinklage. I mean, what what's the big draw? Well, you just took out two pretty damn big draws. Okay. A lot of nudity <laughs> and Peter Dinklage, who whenever he's on the screen, you'll like this one. He's an electric factory when he's on the screen. Oh yeah, he's oh, tremendous. Makes Game of Thrones good is that you never know what you honestly don't know what's going to happen. Whereas if you watch Gotham, you know it's like yeah, whatever they do, Batman's just going to end up defeating them in the end. I do know Game of Thrones, and and by the way, just because I don't watch it doesn't mean that I haven't read about it or seen it, you know, on uh, online different comments. I do know that Game of Thrones has been pretty famous for shocking you with twist and killing off main characters, right? Yeah, that's like, I mean, one, and if you haven't seen Game of Thrones, there's an episode called The Red Wedding where yeah. a lot of deaths happen. Yeah, I heard about that. It, it'll blow your mind. Can you just call that that particular episode up and watch it? I On YouTube, like, and this is for anyone who hasn't watched the Game of Thrones shows up until now, and you want to kind of, like, don't want to be left out like Ted's going to be this weekend. Like, you can watch <laughs> on YouTube, I think, like, you know, like three or four hour long kind of like cliff notes oh. of the show. Oh, like can you really? Where you don't have to watch all the episodes and all the seasons. You'll get the general gist of it. Oh. And then you can kind of watch the, you know, the premiere on this upcoming Sunday, which is the same day as Masters Sunday, by the way. Ooh. Not wait. Tiger Woods, 14 to 1 odds. He's going to win it. Well, let's talk a little Masters here for a second. But before we do, just uh, the coronaconnection.com knows it's great to be gold. Keep up to date on all that is Corona. The spring sports season is underway at Corona High here in mid-Michigan, so keep up with the Cavs at CoronaConnection.com. And by the way, Card Service Michiana offers credit card setup and equipment for both new and existing merchants, guaranteed to save you money. No contract, no monthly minimums, or early termination fees. Give them a call, 574-238-1397, or contact us here at 3 Point Pod. For details, all right. The Masters. You said uh, Tigers fourteen to one. Mm-hmm. Fourteen to one odds. Yep. Which is, I mean, Roy McIlroy is eight to one. Dustin Johnson ten to one. Justin Rose twelve to one. Tiger Woods is fourth best at fourteen to one. Uh, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, you guys know me. I'm a huge Tiger guy. I think he's going to win. I get my hopes up every year. Pretty much every year he crushes them. But they are sky high right now, fellas. We, we just watched him beat Roy, uh, like red hot Rory McIlroy match play just last weekend. He's playing really well, and it's like, for once, his health is not going to be what derails him. Yeah, I saw him say after that match play event that, I mean, I, I feel like he has said this a few times before, but, you know, the results are showing it a little differently now that this is some the best he's felt in a while. So, you know, he's got that going for him. He obviously finished last year's uh, tour, you know, with a win. So, like, you know, it looks like he's playing well. He knows the Masters course better than anyone almost. So, you know, I just always think, like, can he put together four good rounds? Like, you know, he's he's done it before for one or two, even three days. But, you know, four rounds in a row, um, he hasn't been able to do that in a while at the Masters. So. That, that's the big question, it'd be, it'd be awesome to see him win, though. Yeah, I think if he's going to win another major, I think it is the Masters, like for the reasons you said. I mean, uh, you know, he, he's had success there. He knows the course inside and out, as do others. But uh, everybody, I think, pretty much is pulling for him, like to see him win the Masters again. This year would be great, and it'd certainly uh, be a huge boost for golf in general, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, ratings would be off the charts. I feel like it's one of those things, too, like, you know, the whole question is, like, he's, he's won other tournaments since his kind of return or whatever. He hasn't won a major. So, like, I feel like it's almost – I wonder if it'd be one of those – if he gets a major, if it would just, like he, – if he'd go on a run this season, I, like if his health held up, if he'd, like, just – get the Tiger Slam again or get the Grand Slam, you know, and just, like, win every tournament, you know, get that monkey off his back. How old is Tiger now? 
43. 43. And Nicholas won the Masters at what, 46? Yeah. Yeah, so time is running out on him, so he's he's got to get it get it in gear. What, do you guys agree with me or disagree? Do you think the Masters is uh, his best chance to win a major, or are you thinking maybe another like a PGA or British Open, uh, another type of course? All of the majors this year shave up like really well for him. I was doing some research, and apparently, like he loves where all the all the majors are being played this year. But he's had a ton of success at the Masters. He's won three of them. Right. Uh, not to like change the topic, but I'm just kind of curious. Are you guys familiar with like the Masters like champions that dinner that they have every Tuesday, every Wednesday night at the Masters, Tuesday night at the Masters? Yep, the previous champion gets to pick the menu, right? Mm-hmm. So just, I guess I, my question to you is, what would you guys serve at your champion dinner? <laughs> Money is of no issue. Oh wow! Just to get your thoughts going, I mean, Bubba Watson back in 2012 had tradition. I had a Caesar salad first, and then he had an entree of grilled chicken breast with sides of green beans, mashed potatoes, corn macaroni and cheese with cornbread and then for dessert he had confetti cake and vanilla ice cream it's pretty solid right there pretty solid but that's like i don't that's just like the most basic meal it sure is i I mean it's good that is a really good meal but like i feel like that's something people have like every week in across every home i don't know i i just feel like you would pick something a little different i feel like ted you're not gonna like me for this but i think i'm going with uh what Donald Trump did for the Clemson oh, I knew, I knew fast food a fast food feast every fast food joint <laughs> every item whatever you want mix and match them everything yeah I'll throw it on your throw it on your cheeseburger from McDonald's I don't care what you do yeah I, it's an incredible meal see my favorite food my favorite all-time favorite always has been since I was a little kid is uh is homemade cheeseburgers now I I could go for a nice gourmet cheeseburger you know, with some outstanding potatoes to go with it, you know. But fast food, you lost me there for sure. Yeah. No, the whole thing. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm I don't not know, you're not exactly a food connoisseur. You let other guys cook on the grill, so. All right, that's it's right. It's a good thing that you don't agree with me. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Fire, like, fire up a grill and, uh, you know, make it like a summer barbecue. Brats, hot dogs, oh. if you want to do chicken, um, if you want to throw some steaks on there. I would just, I would have, like, an arrangement of meat for all the people who, you know, want that and just say, like, have a grill. Pick what you want, grill it up, burgers, you know, whatever. Pick your meat, we'll grill it up how you want, and then have a bunch of good size, potato salad, taco salad, you know, like, whatever other salads people love at their, you know, Fourth of July picnics. Yeah, and you're talking top-of-the-line meats and chicken or whatever and, you know, whole foods, salad, uh, you know, top-of-the-line stuff, though, right? Not fast food. Hear what he said, Ted. Salad. Well, what, Matt? What? Not not salad. I mean, you threw on Bubba Watson said Caesar salad. I'm talking like taco salads, potato salad, those kind of salads. Not not like just a bowl of lettuce. So basically, this is Ted's uh, (laughs) uh, Fourth of July celebration that he has at his house every every Saturday. Yeah, and I'm sure it's amazing. Yeah, you complaining, Jared? Other than the fact I gave up uh, grill duties for shish kebab, how was the food? The food was great. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so are you saying, Ted, you do burgers? I would do gourmet cheeseburgers would be my main course. Yes. Okay. That would be my choice. So are you a Red Robin fan then? Oh, I like Red Robin. Yep. With okay. the un- unlimited French fries. That's the best part. <laughs> That's my weakness. It, it, listen to this, and this will just show you, like, kind of a culture shock. So... One of my professors said, that, so he's like an adjunct professor, and he was talking about how you have to welcome to journalism college. He was talking about how you might have to like 
to get a source, you might have to buy him dinner. He said he bought them dinner. He bought a source dinner at Red Robin once. The entire class, like, erupted in laughter. And I, like, kind of joined him, like, ha, ha, ha. Like, so they were basically laughing at him for taking a source to Red Robin? Yes. They, it was like they were looking down upon him for taking a source to Red Robin. And I was sitting there, like, Red Robin's a great restaurant. Like you mentioned, that like, unlimited fries. You can't beat it. Yeah, here they are looking down upon him for doing that. Yeah, I kind of remember back in the days with the bad boys that uh, Isaiah Thomas was asked a question about where, where he loves to go eat, and he said uh, he loves to go to, uh, oh, what's the seafood place? Uh, Red Lobster? Red Lobster, and he got crucified for that. And I don't. I didn't understand that either. I mean, you like what you like. Right. I, I don't know. Why do people care about that? Exactly. Lobster, go to Red Lobster. Or, huh. or go to Red Robin. You're saying Grand Valley dinner. students are snobby towards Red Robin now, huh? <laughs> that class was. That class was. And, and I didn't like it. I didn't care for it. The one thing that just came to my head, at my master's dinner, the McDonald's fries are going to be red hot. You know how there's nothing better than a red-hot McDonald's fry. There's nothing worse than an ice-cold McDonald's fry. Yeah, they got to be hot. Only what you get when you take them home. Right. So it, they're going to be red-hot at my master's dinner. I think that makes it better than your guys. Fresh fresh out of the oil or underneath the heating lamp. All right, good stuff there on the master's and the feast. I like that. Uh, you know, We're running out of a little time here, boys, but uh, how about the Tigers right at the moment playing pretty good baseball, not hitting the ball, but uh, getting some great pitching performances and off to a good start. And like I said, recording this on Sunday, they swept Kansas City. Yeah, I mean, they're in first place in the American League Central, 7-3, and three, swept Kansas City. I mean, I think this is all stuff that – whatever, two weeks ago when the season started, I don't think anyone would have expected this. So, like you said, the offense is still not really catching up. I think I saw going into the game today, uh, as a team, they were hitting 182. Yeah. Uh, That's just not going to get it done long term. So the offense is going to have to perk up, but but hey, whatever, they're winning right now, so I, you take I, it as a Tigers fan. I still think it's going to be a long season, but they, there is some hope. They have some good young arms that they haven't even brought up to uh, the big team yet. So, you know, we'll go through this year. They'll At least they're keeping it interesting right now. Also in baseball, the big story earlier this week was the, the Bryce Harper return to Washington and the big bat flip. I liked Love it. That. I liked was it. awesome. I actually tweeted this out, like, I, I, like, rubbed my eyes when I saw that. Like, wow, like, baseball is doing something. Like, that was cool. I couldn't believe my eyes. Baseball did something cool. Thank you. Now, did he get thrown at after that? I never did catch up on that because I saw another home run hit by a Cincinnati player uh, against Pittsburgh, and he just he cracked it over the right field fence and stood at home plate for about five or six seconds and just admired that blast. And next time up, man, he took one right in the hip. Did Harper, did they throw at him? Do you know? They didn't. I think even his first at bat, they intentionally walked him. Oh, wow. So uh, That's good. I like yeah. that. Because I think it's time to get rid of that throwing at batters. The old tradition, I mean, you know, I'm a traditionalist overall, but that that's just, it's not. It's not good for baseball. No, those those unwritten rules. Because, yeah, the, the Reds-Pirates game that you're talking about, when the dude got drilled, it led to the benches clearing and like a 20-minute fight if you want to call it that nothing actually really happened but you know where they're standing on the field some guys are shoving guys are getting held back for like 20 minutes just because you you know a pitcher got butt hurt and a guy like styled a little bit after hitting a home run like i I don't that unwritten rule in baseball really bothers me it's got to go 
I mean, baseball <laughs> has to have the the excitement like Harper and you know the players that do style. They need to bring that personality in. You know, and I know it probably sounds weird coming from the old guy here, but baseball needs that. Yeah, because what happened the day after Harper had that bat flip? Every sports talk radio show, sports center, you know, whatever, every sure show were. was talking about it. Yeah, you know, first week of baseball in April, and and that was leading a lot of shows. So I mean, that that says a lot. Hey, uh, before before we go, guys, I have uh, a little bit of news, personal news, actually. All right. So, as you guys remember, a few months ago, I mentioned that my father had a card that was potentially worth over 100k, uh, Bird Magic and uh, Julius Irving, like rookie card, is what it was. Well, Julius Irving was a scoring leader on it, but it was a Bird Magic rookie card. Right. So I ended up getting it checked by our, our good friends over at Sheridan Auction, and I'm just gonna reenact what happened he told me afterward i'm just going to reenact it for dramatic purposes okay so the way i picture it so there's a phone sitting on a table here he sees it vibrating he's expecting a call from sheridan auction regarding the fate of this card it vibrates once vibrates twice before he answers it he decides he's going to knock or he's going to knock on his table twice you know knock on the wood for good luck he picks it up and are you guys on the edge of your seats right now i am yeah it's a fake. It's a complete phone. It's a replica. <laughs> Made in the 1990s. <laughs> I just picture, you guys know the Joe Dirty. He takes, like, the, the giant piece of poop, like, to get it checked out. He's like, yeah, this is just a big old piece of piece of poopy. <laughs> you know, like, there's a peanut in it. No, it's a space peanut. <laughs> so- just, he couldn't believe it. He still doesn't not, he still doesn't necessarily believe it. Because yeah. he's, I was like, do you remember buying it, like, at a gift card shop or something, like, in the 1990s? He's like, no. Uh, so apparently someone swindled him somewhere down the line. This in this reek of Ted pulling an older brother move here. Oh, I wish I could have pulled that move after all the good baseball cards he stole from me <laughs> back back out of my collection. But uh, yeah, I I would have loved to think of something like that. But uh, that's too bad for John, you know, because I know at one time he had mentioned he had it and he, he mentioned the price and you offered to buy it for $10,000 or something, didn't you? No, that's no, I, I offered, so it was going to cost like $500 to get it checked. I offered to pay, or it was like $800. I said, I'll pay for half. I'll pay you 400 bucks. Okay. Thing checked. He ended up thinking, figuring out how to do it for free. Thanks for, like I said, our good friends shared at auction. So he would have pocketed 400 bucks and then we would have split the profits. I got you. Not which would have been nothing. It's not even worth toilet paper. It's it's not even worth a dollar. So they verified so, so the thing is I couldn't I couldn't quite understand did they actually physically look at the card or did they look at a picture of the card? No, they looked at it. it okay. As much of a as much of an examination as you could have. Took a couple weeks. He, he his hope was gaining as the days kept passing by <laughs> and he ends up finding out that it's worth maybe a dollar. Oh. oh, oh. <laughs> That sucks. That hurts. Because it wasn't the whole thing, too. Like, you, you guys, you weren't sure where it was at, so, like, someone had to go find it. Yeah, that he ended up finding it. Um, yeah. He actually hid it from us because he <laughs> thought it was worth some money. He hid yeah. it from me and my brothers, which is probably a smart move. Smart move. I remember a Barry Bonds rookie card. I think I told this story before. I just took, like, a Sharpie to it and just, like, drew on it. It was worth, like, 50 bucks or something like that. Just <laughs> He's, like, 10-year-old just drawing a Sharpie on it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have – man, I had – that just brings up bad memories. I had kind of forgot about this a little bit, but I used to collect cards. That was huge when I was growing up, too. And um, Shaq – Shaq was a big card to collect when I was, like, young in elementary school, you know, when he came – when he got drafted to the Magic. But I had a, a Shaq rookie card – and there was a card shop. I bet Ted, you remember it was called Hit and Run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were one of my sponsors and, of the sports forum at one time. 
Yeah, it was it was an all, it was a great card shop. We used to go in there a lot. I would like take you know my allowance or you know whatever money I made and buy a couple cards. I had a Shaq rookie card. And do you remember the magazine Beckett's? Yep. That you could like look up your card, tell you the value, how much they were worth or whatever. Yep. Well, I I would buy a Beckett at Meyer or whatever. I would buy one like almost every month, and I would look at every one of my cards, try and add up like how much money I could make. You know, I don't cause just because I was a little kid and I would do that. Well, there was a Shaq rookie card that was worth like $500 at the time. I thought I had it, and I took it to hit and run. I was ready to cash in. I was going to go make bank, and same thing. There was like one small difference. You know, it was like wow. a different version of the card, and the one that I had was worth like 2 bucks. Wow. I was crushed. Yeah, that'll do it. I mean, I took away all your fair money, didn't it? Yep, yeah, that's what I probably was. Go to Kerwood <laughs> and buy a bunch of cotton candy and french fries with vinegar or something like that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, I think we've talked enough, boys. Anything else we need to get on the table? Was that your story there, Jared, on the card? Yeah, <laughs> very sad. Okay, let's root, very root, sad day. let's root for the Pistons. We don't know if they're going to make the playoffs or not as we record this. If they do, we'll certainly be talking Pistons, Pistons playoff basketball in our next pod. Yeah, currently they're in the eighth spot, but they're uh, they're sliding. Oh, hanging on. All right. Well, we'll stay tuned in this week. We'll be watching the national championship game tomorrow night. I'll be watching Tuesday morning, uh, One Shining Moment. <laughs> and we'll do this all again next time. We appreciate everybody for joining us, but we're going to call it a pod for now. If you do enjoy the show, and we assume you do if you tune into it, Share this three-point podcast with all your friends and family. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, TuneIn, or other podcast hosting sites. Give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Three Point Pod. And uh, we might have some exciting news to pass on where we're going to be partnering partnering up with somebody out there. We'll bring you up to date on that down the road. I want to thank again our Three Point Podcast partners, Advanced Elevator, Sheridan Realty and Auction Company, Rivals Tap House and Grill, The Corona Connection, and Card Service Michiana. This has been a three-point podcast production in conjunction with Sportsnet Michigan and Z92.5 The Castle. Thanks again for listening to and supporting Three Point Podcast. Check out Guitar George. He knows all the chords. Mighty strictly rhythm, he doesn't want to make it cry or sing. up under the lights to play his thing And Harry doesn't mind if he doesn't make the scene He's got a daytime job He's doing alright He can play the honky-tonk like anything Saving Friday night with the Sultans with the Sultans.